welcome. This is the UC Seneca's News Roundup Podcast, where we talk about the latest news and research from UC Seneca's. In this episode, we'll talk about voting rights and lessons from the civil rights movement, an award for research on circadian rhythms, an event series focused on Afrofuturism, and much more. I'm your co-host, Gwen Jordanet, and I'm an editor for UC Santa Cruz News. And I am your other co-host, I'm Dan White, and I'm a writer for UC Santa Cruz News. And just a reminder that you can read more about these stories that we talk about today and find lots more at our website, news.ucsd.edu. All right, let's dive in. Dan, uh, last month, as you know, I'm sure you're following the news, Republicans in the Senate blocked two key pieces of legislation, the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, that were intended to restore voting rights protections that civil rights activists of the 1950s and 1960s dedicated their lives to achieving. I know, it was so incredibly disappointing. I know, yeah. I mean, we we kind of expected that, right? Because that's what all the news pundits were saying. But I have to say my heart sunk when I heard the news nonetheless. I just hope for better, you know? I did too. Yeah, exactly. So... I was encouraging to read a recent moving essay by faculty member John Brown Childs, who shares his opinion on the decision and offers some historical perspective. And I've seen uh, Professor Childs a couple of times at MLK convocations, maybe just Mm -hmm. for readers who are not familiar with his body of work. Maybe uh, you could could, uh, let them know who he is. Okay, yeah, yeah. He is a distinguished professor emeritus of sociology and serves on the advisory committee for the soon-to-be John R. Lewis College, which is currently College 10, but um, is transitioning to John R. Lewis College in the spring. He was a college student in 1965 when he participated in efforts to register Black voters in Montgomery, Alabama, with the organization Friends of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. They faced constant threats of violence from police and white supremacists, This was right after Bloody Sunday, the pivotal 1965 Selma to Montgomery March for voting rights, during which John Lewis and many other civil rights activists had been brutally beaten at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. To those who were participants in and witnesses to those foundational struggles of the civil rights movement, it may seem like right now we're living through another dangerous time in U.S. history, and a new generation is being called to stand up for their rights and their future. Child says he knows this may feel frustrating, discouraging, and disconcerting for today's young people. It felt that way at times for his generation too, he says. But those in the movement did not give up, he says. The civil rights movement made itself a reality through nonviolence and compassion in the midst of heavy, negative, repressive, and dangerous powers that seemed to have the upper hand until they didn't, often in unpredictable ways. It's important to recall the movement's successes and how they were accomplished as we face the present moment, Child says. And he calls on each of us to act on behalf of democracy. So what are some things that we as individuals can do? Child suggests volunteering with a voter registration campaign, donating and voting in support of political leaders who are fighting voter suppression and more. Whatever you do best, do it in support of democracy, he says. And I really encourage everyone to read this powerful essay. You can find it at news.ucse.edu. 
All right, moving on. Um, Carrie Parch, professor of chemistry and biochemistry, will be honored by the National Academy of Sciences, the NAS, with the 2022 NAS Award in Molecular Biology for her contributions to the molecular understanding of circadian rhythms. Parch's transformative work has shed light on the protein-based signaling mechanisms and structural assemblies that give rise to daily cycles known as circadian rhythms in most living things. These daily cycles affect virtually every aspect of our physiology and are driven by the interactions of clock proteins in our cells. You know, I love her work, even if I can't really visualize what a clock in our cells would look like, I'm thinking like, I don't know, grandfather clock. <laughs> I, I see down. it more like a wall clock. Yeah, know. cuckoo clock, some people. <laughs> I know, um, so, I mean, her work's a bit above my head, but not even a bit above my, like way miles above my head, but I, but I definitely enjoy learning about her discoveries. Um, the NAS award in molecular biology is presented with a medal and a $25,000 prize. So congratulations, Professor Parch. All right. And now I have a fun story about creativity, thinking outside the box, self-reliance and getting it done spirit and, and some new fixtures you may have seen on campus. Knowing how long the building process in campus takes, I can't imagine these new pictures are actual buildings, are they? <laughs> <laughs> they are not. They're not buildings. They're far from, well, maybe they're squirrel buildings. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're just another way to enjoy and interact with the beauty of our campus. So here's the story. In early September, Chancellor Lareve asked physical plant development and operations to install 10 picnic tables on campus by the opening of fall quarter, so students would have more outdoor social and study space. The campus has long had outdoor tables and benches in various locations, as you know. I mean, we've all sat at a lovely spot on campus on a bench or eaten at a picnic table. Uh, but a lot of them, uh, made from redwood and more than 50 years old, had deteriorated from age and weather. These new tables needed to be sturdy and attractive and the chancellor offered criteria for where they should go. So staff got to work. One task force formed to select suitable locations while others started looking for appropriate high quality tables in like, you know, kits that could be shipped in a reasonable time frame. But after an exhaustive search, it became clear that wasn't gonna happen. Either quality tables weren't available or they were just way too expensive. It's just so infuriating. I know this all too well, Gwen. The whole supply chain thing is so weird. I can't get soup dumplings from Trader Joe's. And, you know, and, and also like these, you get these amazing deals from good old grocery outlet, but then they don't have it again. Like they, yeah. like $5 for like an enormous zillion pound bag of dark chocolate chips for five bucks. Uh -huh. and, and then, then you can't find it later. But why, but why it's just, it's very strange how there's certain things you can get no problem and other things you can't get it for love or money. It's very no. strange. So I could see how they would run into problem. Has, have right. you had the same problem, Gwen? Have you not been able to get certain products? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. For example, I couldn't get wheat thins. What? Wheat thins. <laughs> like wheat thins, like the basic building block of crackers, like the most boring oh, cracker. And that's... they're just my favorite, though. And I eat them constantly. And then I went to the store recently, and like time after time, I went to the store. Their shelf was just a ghost town. 
like no wheat fins except for like tomato basil flavor and i'm like i don't want those you gotta so, read uh, the, the, the new yorker this week has this whole thing about how many people steal crates from freight cars and they just steal ox so maybe your wheat thins are getting stolen gwen maybe that's it maybe someone's snacking it's, right yeah, now. yeah yeah a freight car of wheat thins is being hijacked upon yeah um random anyway so, so the picnic table team decided they'd DIY the tables. When students, staff, and faculty returned to on-campus instruction recently, they found 10 solid timber frame tables at popular gathering spots. Campus carpenters created a template based on the original tables built in the 1960s. Um, they added a longer end, making it accessible for wheelchair users, and they put a bit more space in between the bench and the table. But other than that, they modeled it on these 1960s um, tables. That's wild. They actually went and just did this themselves. Boy, so did they, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, it's it's uh, taking matters into their own hands. Uh, so speaking of supply, did they end up having to use wood from campus or at least redwood? Um, they wanted to use redwood, but second yeah. and third growth redwood, which is kind of what's around here, oh, yeah. um, doesn't hold up as well. And it would take too long to find, you know, reclaimed old growth timber. So they worked with a lumber yard in Felton um, and they got Western red cedar from the Pacific Northwest. Oh, interesting. The campus, yeah, the campus sign shop created inscriptions for each table and each table will also bear a bronze plaque made from reclaimed material and cast by sculpture instructor and Kresge 83 art alumnus, Sean Monahan. The newly built tables can be found in pairs at Quarry Plaza, Science Hill, Digital Arts Resource Center, Humanities, and Classroom Units. I just love that the tables echo and honor the original campus tables. And I just love that I will sit on them and not fall on the ground because I've destroyed <laughs> it by sitting on it. So it is a very fitting tribute. I love it too. I'll have to bring a picnic to one of these very soon. Totally. Um, yeah, let's podcast from one of the new picnic tables next time. <laughs> I would love that. Let's do that. Sounds good. I think it might right. change um, the acoustics. It'd be very nice. I know. I Lovely. know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's it for me. Uh, what's on your news radar, Dan? I guess the, the answer might be what's not on my news radar. I've got yeah. so much news. Uh, I have to go into overtime. No, I, I hope not. I'm just kidding. But I've got some really good news about uh, funding for an important festival on campus. The National Endowment of the Arts has awarded UC Santa Cruz's Institute of the Arts and Sciences a grant of $50,000 for Surge. It's an event series that focuses on the theme of uh, Afrofuturism. Afrofuturism. I've been seeing that term, you know, like in magazines or newspapers. Um, it seems like a movement that's getting a lot of attention. So how would you define Afrofuturism for our listeners in case they aren't familiar with this concept? Well, you're putting me on the spot, Gwen. I have no uh -oh. idea. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my, you know, my, my favorite definition, the most succinct one I found, it, I just happened across it on the website for the Tate Museums in England. Okay. Tate.com described Afrofuturism intriguingly, as a cultural aesthetic that combines science fiction, history, and fantasy to explore the African-American experience and aims to connect those from the Black diaspora with their forgotten African ancestry. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. That's really cool. Um, and, and that sounds pretty clear. 
When you say festival, is this something that takes place in one day or like the course of a week? Actually, this is one of those festivals that has a very long tail, <laughs> as they say. Uh, it's one of those ongoing things. Events for the Surge Festival take place throughout the current academic year, but it really reaches a boiling point in May when the month-long festival of live music concerts and dance performance kicks in and Surge is truly collaborative. The festival is being organized by professors Carlton Hester and Gerald Cassell from the Department of Performance Play and Design in collaboration with Aaron Samuel Mulenga, a PhD student in visual studies. So that's exciting because it's a new department too. And for the organizers of Surge, Afrofuturism and the rich history of black culture it emerges has never been more important. How did um, did the festival get this unique title, Surge? Well, Gwen, as someone who's been following COVID news, I'm sure you probably uh, noticed the deliberate COVID reference Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> Professor Hester says that, that as COVID has rampaged through communities, there is another kind of, you know, kind of counter surge taking place in our society. And the festival really responds to that. It's a surge in a positive way, not a uh, epidemic way. People are increasingly focused on how to heal, transform society and promote racial justice, Professor Hester says. Now, by organizing a festival drawing on global Afrofuturist traditions of cultural resistance and resilience, as conceptualized, by the way, by the wonderful cosmic philosopher and jazz giant Sun Ra, uh, we aim to highlight how this intellectual and creative genealogy can help us build a better post-pandemic future for Black people and for all people. I love the honoring of Sun Ra, such a a fascinating musician. Hmm. Now, Professor Cassell says that the importance of dance, music, and the arts are often overlooked when considering what is necessary to advance social transformation. We are grateful for the National Endowment for the Arts for recognizing the importance of culture, and particularly for supporting a project which highlights the works of musicians, artists, and choreographers of color the arts have certainly not been immune from racial inequalities, and that makes it all the more exciting. Now, you may be wondering when the surge began. Well, online, online events have already started with uh, Aaron Samuel Malenga, graduate student in visual studies and researcher at the Institute of the Arts and Sciences, hosting a series of online conversations. So it's already up and going as we speak. In uh, other funding news, uh, UC Santa Cruz has received a National Endowment for the Humanities grant to connect two areas of study that you might not really expect and yet makes sense, peanut butter and chocolate, Gwen. This grant is going to help UC Santa Cruz connect the studies of humanities and engineering, an unlikely but wonderful and long overdue combination. Wow, yeah. This certainly is an intriguing combination, but how will this grant serve as a bridge between those two really different disciplines? It's a great question. And I, I bet you that people have asked this question for many years. Mm-hmm. And I think that this, as a, yeah. this, anyhow, this generous grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities will create significant in the humanities for Baskin School of Engineering students encourages these engineering students to enroll and really delve in on humanities disciplines. Um, That's really good to hear. How interesting. Um, So what bearing will the humanities have on their engineering work? Now, the two will go hand in hand for students who get the certificate. They'll kind of inform each other. 
people will delve into engineering and humanities and they'll really reinforce one another. Those who pursue the certificate in the humanities will take classes and learn critical thinking skills that will really help them better understand the social and cultural impacts of technological change. So it sounds like their immersive study of the humanities will give them a kind of frame or lens for the engineering classes in their future uh, careers. I like the stereotype shattering thing. Some people unfairly think of engineers as this certain, like they're these guys wearing big glasses and pocket protectors, you know, and it's like my dad was an engineering major and he was really into the arts. So, you know, they're disciplines that should be bridged. The $149,000 grant will be funded through the NEH's Humanities Initiative at Hispanic Serving Institutions, which looks to develop new humanities programs or strengthen existing courses. Jasmine Alinder, Dean of Humanities at UCSC, she serves as the principal investigator on this project with Professor of Linguistics Pranav Anand and Professor of Literature Sean Collin. Um, now, Alinder says that one of the goals of the program is to ensure that our many engineering students use humanistic methods to explore and understand the social, cultural, and historical ramifications of new technologies. It makes perfect sense. Uh, now, while geared to engineering students, the courses will be open to all. UCSC students. Oh, very cool and very exciting news. So when will this program begin? Well, the development of this new certificate in humanities will begin in earnest this spring with a planned launch event at the start of the fall 2022 academic year. Hmm. And uh, campus provost and executive vice chancellor Lori Kletzer says this is a fantastic achievement and so very promising for a future of producing humanized technologists and technology infused humanists. Well said, Lori Kletzer. <laughs> and a uh, lot of exciting change. I've got one more piece of good news. Merrill College is now offering courses that give students a chance to learn about Africa and developing global connections. Wow. Cool. Um, how do these new courses come to be? It's because of a slug. Uh, a big part of the reason <laughs> of for this program is the passion and advocacy of a slug, Melvin Cox, a documentary filmmaker who traces his passion for uh, all things Africa back to the late 1960s when he was one of the early students at Merrill College back when UCSC was still in its infancy, I guess maybe toddlerhood, infancy. Mm-hmm. He was surrounded by f- professors who were noted Africa scholars, including the late John Markham. Now, uh, Cox is inspiring a new generation of students to take an interest in the continent by helping organize cultural exchanges through Merrill College. Merrill is offering two global classrooms, courses developed with the support of the Global Engagement Division that involve online collaborations between uh, students from UCSC and the Cooperative University out in Kenya, which is kind of amazing. Uh, Merrill is also organizing a faculty-led study abroad program in Africa in the summer of 2023. And Cox, who teaches the Focus in Africa Global Classroom, uh, he's taken students to Africa, by the way, and he said he's passionate about raising the profile of the continent and the psyche of the average American. We want to recreate a constituency for Africa, both on campus at UC Santa Cruz and in the home communities of the students who are participating. Wow, that sounds so cool. Um, What does the Focus on Africa course entail? That's a two-credit course that's intended to equip students with the skills and background necessary to be informed observers and chroniclers of current affairs on the African continent. 
And uh, Cox has drawn in more than 30 years of contacts to put together this course. The online collaboration involving international students has been a godsend, he said. He hopes that these alliances that will be formed there will last students a lifetime. And uh, Jesus Membrio Ortiz, a UC Santa Cruz student and focus in Africa, said he has learned from the Kenyan students in the class that their experiences are similar to what he has experienced as a child growing up in Mexico. Both areas have widespread poverty and the colonial history that resulted in oppression of the native population. Everything they describe is very similar, he said. Mexico is a third world country. We understand Africa, it's the same thing. Now plans are still moving forward to send UC Santa Cruz students and faculty to Kenya in summer 2023 for a study abroad program. Wow, what an opportunity. Yes, indeed. Oh, that sounds so amazing. I'm so happy for the students getting getting a chance to take part in that. Yes, what an opportunity that would be. Yeah, totally. Well, cool. Um, just one more example of the incredible work taking place at UC Santa Cruz and all the opportunities students have to, to just learn about so many things. Indeed. I mean, I, I just, I would be so tempted to be enrolled in something like that if I was I know, I know. If only we were college students now. <laughs> I know, because it wouldn't have been really possible to do it. I mean, with the technology that we have these days, couldn't have really done this when I was going to school and, you know, I know. computing was an infancy. All right. Yeah. Well, students, take advantage of everything, every opportunity you have. That's my advice. All right, so that's it for now, listeners. Uh, good, as always, to have you with us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Right here, See you all next time. Yeah, and we will catch you up with all the latest UCSC news next time.